Well, happy 4th of July, everybody. Thank you for uh, joining us today, uh, being in town this 4th of July. We know a lot of people are road tripping this weekend. Uh, I was thinking about it. I I've mentioned this a lot before. Our family loves to road trip up to Oregon. Uh, we got family up there as well as we just love the Pacific Northwest. And, and one of the things that's unique about Oregon, uh, you'll know this if you've been there, in Oregon, you are not allowed to pump your own gas. Did you know that? Any of you have gone up that way? Uh, since 1951, there has been a law in, of the state books that require you to have your gas pumped into your car by a gas station attendant. Um, now, I did not grow up in Oregon, but I am old enough to remember when gas stations had both self-serve and full-serve. Some of you with me, you remember that a little bit? Uh, or at least as a kid, I remember going to the gas station with my parents, and uh, you, you had a choice between those two. You, you would pull up uh, to self-serve, and you pay a little less, you do it yourself, or you could pull up to full-serve, and uh, somebody would do it for you, and they would wash your windows, and they would check your oil. Um, in fact, I, I remember when self-serve was kind of a novelty, it was kind of a new thing, and, and the excitement I felt as a kid to someday get to pump my own gas, thinking how fun that would be, <laughs> I wish it was full-serve everywhere you go now, right? Uh, although full-serve no longer means all that other stuff. You will be washing your own windows now forever. Uh, can I confess to you, there have been many moments where this guy from California road trips up to Oregon, gets out, sticks his credit card in, and pumps his own gas, completely forgetting there's no self-serve, and had one, more than one angry gas station attendant explain to me, you are breaking the law. They look at me as if I just robbed a bank, and uh, they take over and push me into my car. I'm, I'm just so used to self-serve. And, and the reason probably is self-serve has been progressing into every area of our lives. Uh, we have self-checkout at our grocery stores. We've had that for a while. But uh, have you noticed now we even have self-checkout at Costco and Home Depot with the bulk items that you would be getting? Um, we have self-check-in at the airport. Uh, Crosswinds Kids here is about to roll out an option where you can check in your kids at church from your phone. And uh, I think what comes with all of this is we have lost the art of allowing ourselves to be helped. Help is something most of us are willing to give up. We'll sacrifice help if it means that we don't have to wait as long. We'll skip somebody helping us if it means that we can do away with the awkward small talk. We'll do it ourselves instead of letting somebody else help us if we think that we can do it better. Um, a few months ago, Andrea and I were, were buying a new couch at a store, and we were in a hurry. We had to get somewhere, and I knew we knew exactly the couch that we wanted. We had researched this. And by we, I mean me, because I'm the one who does the researching. We had been looking for months. And so the salesperson took us over to her computer, and she said, you want that couch. And then she took 60 seconds slowly entering the couch model number into the computer, pecking it into the keyboard. And I thought, oh, my gosh, how long is this going to take? We've got to be somewhere. And she said, okay, tell me your name. I said, Chris Coley. She said, spell it for me. I said, C-H-R-I-S. She went, C H. Our phone number, 925. When she asked for our address, I was like, can I just put it in there for you? And Andrea backed away and pretended like she didn't know me. Um, have you had that happen where you just realize it's easier to do it yourself? Uh, a few years back, a guy named Alex Bowen, he stopped in at a Waffle House. Uh, we don't have those here. They're mostly in the southern states. Uh, anyway, they're open 24 hours. He showed up at 2 a.m., 
And he waited 10 minutes for anyone to acknowledge him. He was the only customer in the restaurant. And so he started walking around and he found one employee, the lone employee, asleep. And so he went behind the kitchen counter and cooked himself a double Texas bacon cheesesteak melt. <laughs> and the whole time, he took a series of photos documenting his self-service episode, including paying for the food and cleaning the grill afterwards. And where it is, he gave himself a really big tip. All right, bad customer service, shorter lines, efficiency, maybe even COVID now. I get why we've started taking things into our own hands more, and, and we've lost the art of being helped. But I wonder if with it, we've lost the art of serving. Um, as you saw in that video, that, that do-it-yourself thing in us has a flip side, right? Which is we convince ourselves it's somebody else's turn, somebody else's job. I mean, if we're all supposed to help ourselves, then when there's a need in the world, you meet your needs, I'll meet mine, and everything will even out. And I need to tell you, that is so contradictory to what it means to be a person of faith and a follower of Jesus. In fact, I have something I need to tell you this morning. Jesus intends for your life to be one that is full serve. Would, would you read that with me? Can we just say it together? Jesus intends for your life to be one that is full serve. Let, let me read to you something out of the book of James. This is in James 2. We'll put it up on the side screens. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to that person, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what, what good is that? In the same way, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. It's a strong word, dead. The book of James says here that people who claim to follow Jesus but don't serve others, it says their faith is dead. Or maybe they never really had any faith at all. A faith that doesn't express itself in full serve is probably evidence of a faith that is not real, that's not there. All right, you ever wonder about if your faith is self-serve? or self-serving, it exists in your life because of what it brings to you. You know, your faith comes with perks. Forgiveness of your sins so that you don't feel guilt. All right, that's something for me. Another perk, community with others, being part of a church home. That's something for me. Another perk, some people who can build into my kids and, and, and help teach them values and let them know that God loves them alongside me. That's good for me, if you think about it. Following Jesus can be pretty self-serving, which is why James says a faith that only does that, that does not serve others, isn't really faith. Now, I don't say this this morning to try and make you feel guilty. I, I have not found that guilt is a real strong motivator to get people to become full serve. Actually, I want to appeal to the self-serve side of you this morning and suggest to you, your faith has a lot more to give you when you do start serving others. I want to tell you that, that, that a faith is, is not dead as James puts it or isn't real. It's not dead because God looks at it and proclaims it dead. It's dead because it's missing the life that comes through serving other people. 
See, I want to tell you, God is inviting you to the incredible privilege of getting to be full serve with the people around you. And when you do it right, it will not be burdensome. It won't be burdensome. It'll be life-giving. It will wake you up in the morning, making you want to do it again. But there is an art to it. And as we continue today, this series on the chicken and the pig, the series on contribution versus whole life commitment, I want to teach you about the exciting lost art of full serve. And here's where the lost art begins. You ready? Begins with a question. What unique thing has God put in you to make a difference in this world? If you want to be a person following Jesus, whose faith comes alive when they serve, as opposed to feeling burdened when you serve others, it begins with this, asking this question. What unique thing has God put in me to make a difference out in this world? All right, I was thinking about that this week, this question that's up on the screens. And I think that this question was way easier to embrace and discuss and dream about when you were young. It was easy when you were a kid to believe that God might have put a unique thing in you. But something happens as you grow older, something, something that makes you think, I'm not that much different than everybody else. You know, think about it. When we were kids, at least for my generation, we were indoctrinated. Be different. You are different. Oh, you are so special. We have songs about it for little kids, right? I am special. I am special. So are you. So are you. Or uh, this one. No one has a nose like mine. Nose like mine. Nose like mine. No one has a nose like mine. I am special. Okay, your moms didn't sing that to you? Huh, I always wondered if my mom was trying to tell me something. Anyway, <laughs> you hear those songs or you sing them in preschool or wherever, and you might have just grown up actually believing them, that you are special. I hope you did believe them. hope you sing them to your kids, your grandkids. But something happens as you get older where it's almost like you don't want to be special. You just want to blend in. Maybe that's because we don't like sticking out. Maybe it's because we get a more realistic view of ourselves and we realize we are not great at everything like some parents might have led us to believe. We actually have some limitations. We can't be good at everything. Maybe it's because we believe there's nothing special about us anymore. Like we lost that. If we had it, it's gone. I don't know. That idea of special, unique, different, it slips away. And instead of having this sense of hope that you had as a kid, an expectation you had as a kid, an anticipation that there's something out there for you, something coming for you to be a part of, something big in the world. Instead, as adults, we settle in for a future. It often looks a lot like the present where, where, when it comes to being unique. I, I, what I mean is we settle in for a life that's a lot less anticipatory, and it's a little bit more same old, same old. Well, here is the crazy thing. And I'm surprised this doesn't get talked about in churches more. The Bible tells us that, in fact, you are incredibly unique and that you should live with great anticipation because God has a plan to use your uniqueness, that he puts something in you for you to give out to the world. But the Bible says, and these aren't my words, these are from Scripture, one of the greatest tragedies of your spiritual journey anyone's spiritual journey, it's neglecting the opportunity to make a difference for God, especially when the reason they don't is because they don't realize they've got something inside them. 
I want to show you something in a book called 1 Peter. Just, just a little bit about this book. 1 Peter is written to a group of people who are suffering under religious persecution under, under the Roman Emperor Nero. Now, just some history. In the month of July, like July like we're in right now, in the year AD 64, a fire broke out in Rome, swept through the city. The whole city went up in flames. Hundreds of public buildings were burned down that July. Hundreds of acres were blackened. Thousands of homes destroyed, which meant thousands of people in Rome ended up homeless. Okay, history tells us the emperor, Nero, didn't do very much to stop this fire. Uh, he was okay with a lot of Rome burning down. And the reason was because it would allow him to build a new palace and erect monuments that would establish his name like for all history. In fact, you may remember the story that, that Nero fiddled while Rome burned down. Um, that's not true because the violin wasn't invented yet. But the idea, the idea is accurate. Nero sat and he looked over the city. 70% of it burned to the ground. And he enjoyed the view. There are some who, would, who claimed that the fire would get put out in one part of the city, and then somehow it would mysteriously light up again in another part. So it's fairly unanimous among historians something shady was going on. And as you would imagine, the people in Rome were angry, and they were ready to overthrow Nero, and they were starting to revolt, and so he needed a scapegoat, and Nero decided to start a rumor that Christians... This small minority group in Rome, these people who others weren't sure if they could trust yet, they were the ones who started the fire. And so began the religious persecution. All right, we'll save for another time the horrific things that Nero did and, and ancient Romans did to Christians. But just understand, lots of lives lost, lots of trouble. And so many of the Christians start to run away and get out of Rome. All right, this letter, 1 Peter, is written to the Christians who have run for their lives, possibly written from Peter in Rome, and it's written to a people who likely think that their mission is over. Now, get that. There is no hope, no expectation, no anticipation that God has a plan for them anymore, let alone a plan to use them to make a difference in the world, the world that they are leaving behind. So, 1 Peter 4, verse 10 and 11, let's take a look. Here's what he says to that group. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if you serve, you should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to look at this closer, but you need to know in this moment, in this letter, a message gets sent. Do not think that God is done with you. It is never too late for God to make a difference with you. He is not done yet. That's what he's saying. All right, to really get into this passage, we've got to understand some words right there that are not just thrown in there. I want to take a deeper look at a couple of these words with you, all right? We're going to take this in chunks. The first chunk, verse 10 says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Now, let's just talk about that word right there, gift. Um, we use this word in a very different way today than it was used in the Bible, because gifted today has come to mean talented. It's come to mean that you're special. Um, when I watch The Voice and somebody gets up and they sing and they blow the crowd away, we call them gifted. If I watch Top Chef and somebody makes incredible food, there is this understanding. They are a gifted chef. We just say that. We use the word gifted today. What we basically mean is talented. It's the same thing. 
And I will just tell you, I appreciate the way we try to use that word because um, just saying the word gift implies that we understand it came from somebody, right? Like maybe God gave it to you, so way to go, world. Uh, I'll give you credit for that. But the problem is that's not really what the Bible means by gift. It does not mean that God gave you a talent. I, look, I hope he did give you talents. This is not that. See, a gift in the Bible is actually this special ability that God has given someone for a plan or a purpose that he has in mind. A gift is actually about a supernatural power that God has given you. Now, if you are normal, that I just said that should freak you out a little bit. Supernatural, like the power to fly, the power to see through walls, does it come with a utility belt? Can I sling webs? All right, before you get up and leave, hear me out. Gifts, gifts are these things that God puts inside you. Not everybody, I'll explain that in a second, but he puts them inside you, and then something spiritual happens when you use them, where it makes a difference in the lives of other people. I, I say supernatural because something spiritual happens. God moves. He works when you use that gift in a way that he would not had somebody with just a talent tried to do something. Now, in case I lost you, let me back up a little bit. The Greek word in the Bible for gift is charisma. Would you say that with me? Charisma. Now, you may hear that and think, oh, I, I know what that is. That's charisma. That is like when you're charming and you've got appeal and you're magnetic. That's a word we use to describe somebody who's likable that people want to hang out with. Okay, well, that's how we use it today, but that is not how that word was used in the ancient Greek. In ancient Greek, it was used as a word to describe this thing I'm talking about, this special ability God put inside certain people so that they could do something for him. God gives certain people a charisma or multiple charismas. All right, and you might ask, well, which people? The clue is in the word itself. Charisma is actually an extension of another word, charisse. And charisse is the word, not just for somebody you know with that name, charisse is the word for grace. Okay, we talked about grace two weeks ago, right? God's unearned forgiveness, his unearned rescue in your life. And we said, if you remember, we said grace is the beginning of what it means to follow Jesus. Grace. Grace comes when you commit your whole self to God. When you choose to be a pig, commitment versus a chicken, contribution. We said if you don't have grace, your journey will never be what it was supposed to be. And here's the reason why. Because spiritual gifts are only given to people who have accepted God's grace. See, what happens when you become a Jesus follower? When you ask forgiveness and you say, God, I want to make you the leader of my life, the Holy Spirit sets up shop inside of you. The Holy Spirit comes into your life, and when it does, it's job. One of the main things it does, the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit blesses you with these gifts. These things, that when you do them, something supernatural, something spiritual happens. Gifts, they're not for everybody. They're for people who know his grace. And the purpose is God gives them so that you can extend, introduce grace to others. Now, you may feel like you've heard this before. You've been around a little bit. Uh, so let me give you a next level thought, maybe you haven't considered in all of this, when the Bible talks about grace, charis, 
it does not talk about grace to you as one and done. You got grace once, and now it's over. You got all the grace you need. It, it says that God is continually pouring out his grace on you. And do you know the reason he's continually pouring out his grace? Not because you continue to screw up and you need more grace. Every time you sin, you're needing more grace. The grace you got initially would be enough for that. It's because his grace is supposed to be seeping out from you through his gifts. You serving others with the gifts he's given you, the charis ma. He'll keep giving you charis, grace, and you keep giving it away to others as you live a life that is full serve. So God's going to do something spiritual through these gifts. He's going to work in the world. He's going to move through you, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't give you this charisma until you have accepted his charis, grace. Now, I mentioned before, these are different than talents, right? Why are they different? Because a talent is just something that you're good at. Some talents come naturally. Some you've got to work at, practice at. You've got to grow. Um, I hope you have talents. I, I hope you found a way for your talents to open doors for you, make you money, give you lots of enjoyment. But a gift is not just something you're good at. It's something when you do it, God uses it to change lives. And that's why I say supernatural. Um, I've seen people with incredible talent for singing get up in a church, sing songs about God. People clap, and they go, wow, that person's really good. And that is it. No one's life was changed. It's entertaining. It's interesting. And then it's over. And then I've seen people who are not even all that talented singers get up and lead worship because God has gifted them to lead people in worship. And because they have a gift, not just a talent, God does something incredible in people's lives. Um, I think I've shared this before. I, I had a friend when I pastored in Las Vegas. This friend was a, a family practice doctor by day uh, and I worship leader by night. That's what I would say. What I mean is he was gifted. He had this gifting to lead worship. But here's the thing. Not that good of a singer. He would miss notes. When he would play guitar, a wrong chord, um, you would not hear him sing right now and find his voice very pleasant. It's okay that I told you that. He says I can say that. But, but every so often in our church in Las Vegas, when our worship pastor was not leading worship, we would have this guy lead worship, and oh my gosh, you could see the way that God used him to draw people toward God. I've never seen anyone as gifted as this person. Now, here's a crazy thing. We were in a town with a lot of very talented vocalists. Lots of wonderful singers on the Las Vegas Strip. Lots, I'm not just talking to Elvis impersonators, all right? Lots of people in our church who were better, more talented vocalists. When they would use their talents at our church, it was good. It was just, they weren't gifted. Okay, talent, you're good at something. Gift, you don't have to be a 10. You don't have to be excellent. All you know is when you do it, God uses it. Now, I'll tell you, sometimes God takes a talent in your life and he makes it a gift. God can take something you're already good at, the Holy Spirit becomes part of your life, and now you're not just doing what you were good at, now you're doing it, and when you do it, people's lives are changed. But I want you to understand this. The Bible says when you become a Christian, you have this thing that's been put in you. In fact, often it's two things. It's three things, two or three gifts that when you do them, God is going to use them in a supernatural way. 
And again, maybe you're getting hung up on the word supernatural. Really? Come on, Chris. Aren't you overstating this a little bit? Maybe I am. Maybe I'm overstating it. Or maybe you've not seen the supernatural thing happen because you've not yet done the thing that God has gifted you to do. All right, there's two more things I want to show you in this passage, and we're going to move much faster, all right? Again, verse 10, let's put it up again. Each of you should use whatever gift, that's the one we looked at, gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The writer calls them stewards, meaning somebody whose job it is to manage something somebody else owns for them. A steward in ancient times is somebody who worked for their master and took care of their stuff. But they didn't just take care of it, make sure nobody stole it. They weren't a security guard. This was a person whose job it was to oversee their master's stuff and turn it into something. Okay, get this. There's an expectation from the master that the steward doesn't just sit, but that he does something with what he has been given. And the next thing I want you to know God gives you these gifts. He is expecting you to do something with them. And the writer says here, look, I know your world has gotten rough, people in Rome. I know that you don't have much anticipation that God's going to use you anymore. Christians who are being persecuted, nobody wants anything to do with you. But, he says, the Holy Spirit still lives in you. And as long as he is there, you will be used by God to make a real difference because God didn't put the Holy Spirit there and give you this charisma to have it go to waste. He's expecting you to do something. Okay, third thing you should know here, verse 11, if you speak, you should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if you serve, you should do so with the strength God provides. What's happening here? The writer, just quickly listing two of the around 20 possible gifts the Bible says people can have. And he says, when you do these two gifts, and he picks two, just picks two, he says, it is like God is doing them himself. If you speak, you should do it as one who speaks the words of God. If you serve, you should do it with the strength God can give. Let me ask, have you ever done something and just felt like God took over? This is what this passage is talking about. When you use your gifts, not your talents, your gifts, it is like God is using them. The Bible lists around 20 different gifts that God might put in you when you let him into your life. Let me just throw some of these up on the screen, okay? Encouragement, leadership, mercy, administration, evangelism, teaching, hospitality, wisdom, giving. You might have one of those or two of those or three of those, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Those are all meaningless if you don't use them. See, this is more than telling people about God. It's letting them see God through your giftedness. Okay, I want to share some ways that you can discover your giftedness. The first one, we know discovering your gifts can be a little bit complicated. Like I said, there's around 20 of these. Do you just pick one and say, that's the one I have? No, there's more to it than that. And so what we've done, on your handout, on the way in this morning, we listed a place. Actually, we listed three places. You can go online, pick one, to take a spiritual gifts assessment, um, a test, and see what your gifts really are. Uh, if you didn't get the handout, take a picture of this slide, and you'll be able to, to get those websites right there. 
three places, and if you've never done a test like this, I encourage you to take one. Uh, or if you took one a long time ago, it's been a while, take it again. Take some time, learn what these gifts are, learn what yours are, okay? The second way to begin discovering, and this one is less scientific than the test, it is to just jump in. Would you say that with me? Just jump in. Turn to the person sitting next to you, look them in the eye and say, just jump in. Start, start serving in church or, or through the church to our community and to our world. See, here's the thing you got to know. Those assessments, um, they're going to tell you what your gift might be, but they're not going to tell you where to use them. It's not going to say you should be in kids ministry or you should be over in Goodness Village. Um, there is no gift of hanging out with high school students, but you might, you might have a gift of encouragement and where it's going to come in is, is with a high school kid going through a hard time. And, and she talks about that hard time in her small group. And because you're a leader in that group, you have a chance to encourage her. Um, there's no gift of holding babies in a nursery. But you might have a gift of faith, which is this gift that, that, that makes you able to help build up other people's faith. And maybe that comes out when you interact with a mom who, who has a baby and is feeling very discouraged and cannot figure out where God is in her life. Okay, stewarding your gifts means putting yourself in places where your gifts come out. And any gift can come out in any ministry. Um, my friend Daniel Curtis here this morning, he leads this thing we do that you heard Sarah talk about called Sleep in Heavenly Peace, where, where they build beds to bring these to homes where parents or guardians cannot afford beds. Kids are sleeping on the floor or on the couch or with their mom. Now, now of course, they love having people serve and sleep in heavenly peace peace with gifts of craftsmanship, like people who can build things, but you know what else they need? They need people with leadership gifts who do not know how to swing a hammer, because it's a lot of people to organize, and they need people with encouragement gifts, because they go into homes where people have been pretty discouraged, right? Besides knowing your gifts, the most important thing you can do is just find a place and jump in. Today, as you leave, we have five or six kiosks in the courtyard just for this. And there are all sorts of opportunities that you could serve around here or in our community. In, in, in children's ministry, um, student ministry, man, the way that you could come alongside a high school kid, be a part of their life. Creative arts, you can serve on our creative teams, music and drama and tech and filmmaking. Um, standing at the door on Sunday saying hello to people, helping people find a seat. You may think, really? There's a gift for that? Um, have you ever like, noticed somebody that's not gifted doing that? Trust me, there is a gift to make people feel comfortable and at home. Coffee. We would love to bring back coffee here soon. Uh, you may be gifted at making coffee, and believe me, it's a supernatural thing when it's done right. Um, Aaron is going to be at a local outreach kiosk out there. Aaron Horner, one of our pastors. Ways you can use your gifts to not just help here on this campus, but in the community. Again, a bunk bed building is going to be out there with him. Goodness Village has a kiosk out there. And maybe the way you're going to figure out your gifts is by jumping in somewhere, trying different things. That's cool. We're okay with that. Just don't hide them. God, put them in you for a reason. All right. I mentioned at the beginning, some of you might be feeling like you are out of touch with God's grace in your life. Or as we read in James, like your faith is missing life. Could it be that you're not putting yourself in places where, where you get to steward God's gifts of grace and experience God working through you? 
I have a feeling some of you are not fully experiencing some of that. You know how I know that? Um, we did a little survey trying to figure out when to regather indoors. It was anonymous. We don't know who wrote what. And while the vast majority of our respondents said they want to come back indoors, something like 80%, only around 35% said they were ready to start serving others to make that possible. Again, I'm not interested in making you feel guilty, but as your pastor, I'm wondering if one of the things you might be missing out on to have a vital faith in your life, could it be this peace that you're not committing to? That you are more chicken than pig in this area? What do you have to lose? In fact, let me challenge you. Take one of those tests, and before you leave today, stop by a kiosk and just jump in somewhere and try it for three months. And if you don't see God start spreading his grace through you, Come talk to me. We'll help you find something else, all right? All right, stand with me. Let's pray together before we go. God, I anticipate, I I expect, I hope for great things out of the people of Crosswinds Church. I stand up here. God, I see a room full of people waiting to give out your grace to each other, to the world. And so I ask you to help them figure out what it is you have put in them, what unique thing you have gifted them with. And then, God, I look forward to watching you use them in supernatural ways. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.